speak to the reading of God's word. It's a beautiful thing that God's word meets us in this very moment. We should be thankful, right, that we have a God who reveals himself, not only through his experience, but through our experience. And then he meets us here and he gives us these words. And I love it. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, you religious people who think you have it all together, anyone who's not entered the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some, by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought them out all on his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech because the religious people, imagine this, do not understand what he was telling them. That's us, by the way. So if you've come here today thinking that you know it all, uh, you've, you've come the wrong way. Change your posture right here. Therefore, Jesus said again, because they didn't get it the first time, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pastures of joy and grace and love, and they will feed off the grass of goodness. But there is a thief who will come only to steal and kill and destroy what is good. I have come that you may have life. And Jesus says, I have come to give you life to the full. Now listen, church. We have asked, what does it mean to be a Christian? In fact, for, for centuries, people have followed at the tailcoats of their family. And in the West, we have turned this beautiful space into a formulaic prayer of salvation which means somehow we're supposed to be sorry, right? And like I said last week, we just get a bunch of sorry Christians. There's a good pun in there. But Jesus doesn't tell us, he, he rarely uses this word of salvation. He only uses it twice. But he uses this word believe over 82 times in John's gospel. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we learned that believing is peaceful. And we also learned that believing is living life against the grain. So this morning, my prayer for you is that believe is not just a matter of the exercise of the brain, but it is a matter of the body as well. So let's pray in this moment. Would you lift your hands open in a posture that receives God's spirit this morning? Don't look at your neighbor. I know it feels weird, but open your hands this morning and receive what God is about to give you this day. Lord, we give you thanks today for the, the, the freedom to come before you and worship you, for the goodness of your word that meets us wherever we are in the middle of pain and hurt. We give thanks that you're about to speak truth into our lives in this very moment. So we love you, we praise you, and in this moment, our goal is to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all may be seated. Thank you. Well, if you are new here or haven't been with us for a while, we have made some significant changes over the last two years. And you'll notice that throughout the last two years, we've made a lot of physical changes to the church. We've made some changes in how we do worship here, and those are, those are very good things. But we've, we've nearly entiled, tiled the front half of the church 
we've, Sandy has nearly by herself painted, along with some of the teens, painted the entire hallways of the church, all the doors, it looks fresh, it looks good. We took our old pastor's office and turned it into a conference center. I, don't, I know I'm fat, but I don't need that much room. Uh, and, and so we turned it into a conference center for all of our employees, a space where they can come and work. I know there's a misnomer that we have a lot of paid pastors. The reality is there are very few of us paid, and the ones who are paid get very little, but they give a lot of hours. Joliet, first let me tell you, your staff, your people that, that, that give to you do a lot out of their own time, and we're thankful for that. One of the major, we're getting ready to renovate our kids' area where it used to be the fellowship hall because we believe that the kids are the church now, not the future of the church. So we'll be starting those renovations soon. But one of the greatest renovations we made, as you can see as you walked in, is our foyer. Now, in my mind, when we started this project, the foyer was supposed to be done three days ago. Little did I know. I mean, I knew it was a big project, but I didn't realize how big it was. And so we started by tearing out the carpet. We gathered together and we tore out the carpet. Men and women together just tearing carpet out. And we thought, wow, it'd be really nice to tear out those walls too and open up the space. If you haven't been here before, it used to be like a jail. I mean, it was like partitioned off and it was dark. And, and so we said, hey, let's knock down some walls. And we grabbed some sledgehammers and, and we quickly realized as dust started flying everywhere that we needed more than just sledgehammers. It was a messy process. And I remember as soon as the walls were down, I thought, here we go. It's going to be done in a week. And a year and a half later, we're still not done. <laughs> but you know what? One thing I found during that time is, is I would make this statement all the time. We'd finish the tile. We'd finish the pillars. We'd finish the grout. We'd finish the paint. I say we. Bill, I mean Bill. Bill uh, did it all. Uh, but during, yeah, you can give Bill a hand. But it was during that process, I would often find myself saying, yeah, it's good. It's good, but it could be better. That's right, y'all are with me this morning. It's good, but it could be better. In fact, what, what I really was trying to say in that moment is, it's good, but it's not what I had imagined. It's good, but it's not completed. It's, it's good, but we have a long way to go. Now, I don't expect you all to be perfect, but for some reason, I want the perfect church. <laughs> I don't know if that's even possible, but there is no such thing. And I've, I've been wrestling this, this week because I've been using the right language. I've been using the right language, but I've been expecting the wrong outcome. I've been using the right language, but I've been expecting the wrong outcome. And here's what I think this morning. I think you, a lot of us use the right language. We just expect the wrong outcome. And here's why. Most of us want to live in this idea of perfection. You see, the reason why we say it's good, but it could be better is because it's not perfect. But see, you have to understand that good is a lived experience. It is the quality of a lived experience. Write that down. Good is the quality of a lived experience. But unfortunately, we have made life the quantity of gained goods, which we think is perfect. Y'all caught that real quick. We, we think life is the quantity of gained goods, not the quality of a lived experience. And we think that somehow in the gaining of goods, we will we will exceed or reach perfection. 
Let me just say this. You may not get it, but perfect is good. the good mirage. It is good's mirage. And I want to ask a question of you this morning. What if perfect is the imperfect interpretation of the human experience? I want to dive into these two words this morning of good and perfect. Good and perfect. And here's why. This is going to be a short sermon. This is going to be a good sermon, and that's not bragging. Trust me, when we understand what good is, you'll know exactly what I'm saying when we get there. You see, from the very beginning of the Bible, we are introduced to a God into a poem that isn't stagnant, right? We find a God whose love is so abundant and so rich that it's flowing within him that he can't help it but flow throughout into the world, into the, what we call this new creation, into the world and into the universe. I like that, that God creates out of love, not the story of hatred and violence like the other myths. And we find that immediately God moves into this rhythm, and if you've been with us for a while, you know this, that when God hovers over the chaos, he begins to separate it. you got to keep them separated. <laughs> but God has, there's this rhythm of separation. He separates the chaos, but he doesn't leave a void. He then fills it with things that are good. So separation of chaos, filling with good so that he can be a blessing to the entire world. That the good will be a revealed image, a transparent image of God's very nature. And so we find in this rhythm that God begins to call things good. And in the poem, And in the poem, we find something really neat. Now think about this. We find trees that bear fruit. And those fruits begin to bear seeds. And those seeds eventually fall to the ground. And those seeds eventually are buried in darkness. And there's this dormant stage. But as light and water and this photosynthesis that begins to happen, there's a robust lifeness that begins to break forth from the darkness. And you get this continued, non-ending process of seed, to plant, to tree, to fruit, to seed, to plant, to tree, to fruit. You get it with me, right? It's the never-ending process of God's creation becoming into this world. And what we have to understand about what God is doing in this moment is that there is light and darkness. There is birth and there is death. There is a bearing and there is a rising. There are seasons of change. There are seasons of dormancy, but there's also seasons where things spring into life. And all of this is good. See, the Hebrews give us an understanding of good that many of us don't understand. The word tov in the beginning, which God uses, is good. And what it describes to us is something that isn't nice, neat, or packaged really well. In fact, what we find through God in the very beginning is this is sweaty, it is messy, it is gritty, but it's also beautiful, and it's, it's, it's good, and it's life, and, and there's this back and forth, there's this contrast that happens within creation. And so it isn't perfect in the beginning. It isn't packaged well. We find that there is work and there is toiling and there is all these things that happen in order for there to be good. And this is what it means when we look at the good of the earth. 
Think about the birth process with, with me for a minute. Birthing a baby. I know we have kids in here. Kids, plug your ears. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, birthing a baby is one of the most beautiful moments of her life. But I will be honest, as a male on the other end, it is absolutely disgusting. In fact, the best advice somebody ever gave me was follow the baby. Dad, wherever the baby goes, that's where your head goes. Because it's messy after the baby comes into the world. And that's really what we get, this understanding of good. When God meets us, this is what good is all about. Messy, but beautiful. And I love that. But then we have a different understanding of life that's, well, let me just say this. God's God's beginning of good is about becoming. I need you to know this. That God's good is about an endless continuum of life. It's endless. It's moving forward. It's good. It's an endless continuum of life. But then we are introduced to a new train of thought. Thank you, Greeks, for the idea of perfection. I I think we've adopted this mindset. You see, the Greeks gave us the mindset of what we see on People magazine. Hollywood stars who are ripped and chiseled and they have great chin lines and big biceps and, you know, really good-looking women. And that's the Greeks, right? They gave us the Olympics. They gave us form and beauty. They also give us lines and they give us aesthetics. They give us, they give us knowledge and wisdom and philosophy. The Greeks give us this ideal perfection of what life should look like. But can I, can I tell you what's wrong with that view this morning? Is that perfection is static. When something reaches perfection, there is nowhere else you can go, as opposed to Tove, where it's a, continue, it's a continued endless process of becoming. See, some of you have had a goal. Maybe it's to lose weight. Maybe it's to eat more. I don't know, whatever it is. But, but the reality is, is when you have reached your goal, there's a major letdown because it's like, where do I go from here? You've reached your goal. You've reached perfection. But life was never meant to stop. It was never meant to stop. And so you're asking me, well, let me just say this. We, we, we see from, from good versus perfect a difference. A good view of the world views the world as dynamic and flowic, flowing and becoming, whereas static is unchanging and fixed. This is a perfect view of the world. And you're asking me, what's the importance of this lesson? Why do we have to know the difference between good and perfect? Jesus says to us today, he says, I have come to give you life and give you life to the full. And I've been asking this question this week, what is life to the full? How do we define life to the full? And I think for many of us, fulfillment Fulfillment is expressed in our feelings. Fulfillment for us is expressed in our feelings. And hear what I mean. Often your feelings are determined by circumstances and conditions and and issues that you face. So when it's muggy and 100 degrees out, you'll say, I am hot. If you've gone all day without eating, you'll say, I am hungry. If you're not feeling well and you've got snot hanging out of your nose, and you just don't want to go to work, you'll say, I am sick. You guys are smiling. 
If you've had something unforeseen in your life begin to break your heart, maybe somebody broke up with you. But if something breaks your heart, you would say, I am sad. Oh, my kids are here. I am sad. But fulfillment is not found in a condition. It's found in what is constant. That's a good line. You should write that down. Fulfillment is not found in a condition. It is found in what is constant, in what is persistent and relentless and endless. And Jesus follows up this whole line, I will give you life, and you will have it to the full with this. He says, I am, I am, not a statement of condition, not a statement of how I'm feeling. This is a statement of constant, of consistent constancy. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't say, I'm the perfect shepherd? Now, I know we've got some Bible scholars in here who know it all, and you're going to correct me, and you're going to say, well, doesn't Jesus tell us that we have to be perfect like he is perfect and his father is perfect? Listen, if that's your understanding of the Bible, we need to go back to class for a minute. Because the actual language there is about the process of being perfected in love. So as long as we are striving for God in a relationship with him, we are perfect, which is actually just good. I think good is the better perfect. Is that proper English? I don't think it is. But good is the better perfect. Aren't you glad he says, I'm good. I am the good shepherd and not the perfect shepherd. You see, perfect would imply that he is static, he is boring, and that would be the same life that we have. Whereas good gives us freedom, it gives us choice, it gives us opportunity, it allows you to make mistakes. How many of you made a mistake today? Look at your partner and said, I make mistakes. Look at your partner and tell them you make mistakes. Good allows us to make mistakes. It allows room for hurt. It allows room for pain. It allows room for joy and for love. But what we get in the good shepherd is somebody who is patient, in understanding. We get somebody who, who wants but doesn't demand. We get somebody who allows you to make choices and doesn't force them upon you. We get a, we get a good shepherd who guides, but he doesn't manipulate us. And this is good news for us. Because I hate to tell you, there are some of you here this morning, including myself, who aren't perfect. That's right. We make mistakes. We have problems. We have issues. And by the way, sheep are pretty defenseless and dumb. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In other words, I am the one who watches you make mistakes. I am one who watches you in your stupidity but yet continues to love you and be present for you. I am the gate that lays down and allows you to go in and out of life and receive joy and love and is there for you in the hurt and pain and when life doesn't make sense. See, I'm glad he says he's not perfect because good allows us to endure the sweaty and the messy parts of life that we don't like. You see, I'll, I'll ask you, did you have a good week? And you'll say, no, I didn't. It was bad. Well, guess what? 
the fact that it was bad actually means that it was good because you've been experiencing what life is all about. That's why I told you this would be a good message. <laughs> Not a perfect one. That's exactly right. I love our mission statement. Our mission statement at this church is not, we are a community of hope. Because, because R is the language of arrival. We don't say we are a community of hope. We say we are becoming a community of hope. Now, that wasn't planned because of this message. That's just the language that we use. But this is what I love about our church. Is we aren't perfect. We expect you to come in here with messed up lives. I expect you to come in here using foul language on your way in because you've had a really bad week. I expect people to come into this place and when somebody says, how are you, say, I stink. It's been a horrible week. It's been a good week, but a horrible week. We don't expect for you to come in and have everything together and wear three-piece suits and have the right language and, and know everything about the Bible that there is to know. And we want you to join us in the journey. We want you to engage in the good. And that's what believing is all about. Believing is engaging the good. That's what I want you to know today. Believing is engaging the good. This sermon this week was a good sermon, and here's why. I studied for it about two weeks ago, and it took me two weeks to write it. There are things that happen within the life of a pastor. I know we just work on Sundays, but there are things that happen. People call me away, whatever, and uh, I just didn't get to it. I was thinking about it, trying to write it, and I sort of finished it. Actually, I didn't finish it. And I sat down with Janelle last night, and I said, help me. Help me write this message. I can't finish it. And uh, when, I, when I got done talking through it with her, she said, my head hurts. And I said, fine, I'm done. And I closed my computer and I shoved it under the chair and I said, God will figure it out tomorrow. And you know what? I'm not going to finish this message today. I got your number. I know where you live. <laughs> and here's why I'm not going to finish this message today. I was watching a YouTube video. I don't know how I found it, but it was actually a Jew interviewing other Jews and asking them, what do you think about Jesus? Now, the Jew asking other Jews what they thought about Jesus didn't actually believe in Jesus. He was just act asking for somebody who did believe in Jesus, if that makes sense. And he was going around, and he was asking, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And they had multiple answers. Oh, he was, he was a Jew turned whatever he was. But I'll never forget one lady said, we don't subscribe to his set of values. We don't subscribe to what is written about him in, in, in Scripture because we have the Torah. Now, I, I like that thought. No, I don't. Because if God would have stopped at the Torah your story would look about, oh, I don't know, about like this. That's how big your story about God would be. This is the perfect view of God, right? But when we believe in the, when we engage in the good and when we believe in a God who is good, we get a whole story that is filled 
with, with people who mess it up, who select kings to rule them, who then find themselves in exile, who don't hear from God for hundreds of years, and then Jesus arrives on the scene, and he dies for their sin, he's resurrected from the dead, and the story isn't finished. And so if I have to do good justice this morning, I will not finish the sermon. In fact, all I will say to you, because what we usually do is we have perfected endings with what you should know and what you, what, what you should do. But it wouldn't be good if I didn't let you finish the story the rest of the week. So all I'm going to say is this, is believing is engaging the good, the messy, the ugly, the beautiful, the sweaty, the dirty, the light, the dark. That is what life is all about. And you get to fill in the blank. I'm giving you a line to run with. Believing is engaging the good. And it's your turn to take part in the story. Isn't that beautiful? Shortest sermon in history. Believing is engaging the good. One of the things we like to do here is engage the good through the table. We believe that what God did on the cross was good. It wasn't perfect. Because it was ugly. It was suffering. It was pain. It was disgusting. There was blood everywhere. But it was all for your good. For you to engage in this journey this morning. So for those serving communion, if you'd come forward this morning, we would like to invite you to this table. If you need good in your life, some of you are going through exactly what I've described. If you need good in your life, would you let us know that today? Not only by participating in this meal, but on the back of that card that we handed you this morning, there is this thing that says, today I'm going to engage the good, or today I decided to follow for the first time. We would love for you to tell us what's going on in your life. By the way, a lot of you have been telling us what's going on in your life. We read those. We see those. We know those stories. Somebody married Tanny, uh, Channing Tatum this week. It was great. <laughs> right there. But some of you shared really, really good stories, and we're thankful for that. But today I would challenge you to engage the good. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for your table presented to us. We give thanks that you are a God who who is in the endless process of helping us become a restored people in your image. Move us this week into a world that doesn't make sense. But help us to live lives of good that don't make sense to the people that don't make sense. That somehow they would be drawn in by the life that we live, by the good that we participate in, by the good that comes out of us. good is the new perfect and so we give you thanks for the perfect sacrifice may we partake in the life and love you offer us today in Jesus name